LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Atkins, and today I'm here with Daniel M. Hello, hello. And Ryan Hutchison. How are you doing? AKA Hutch. Is it really? Is that your nickname? That is what everybody calls me. There you go. That's right. Everybody but my family, because all everybody in my family gets called Hutch, and so it gets really confusing. <laughs> Hutch sounds like it would be a name of a football coach. Hey, I could I could live with that. Yeah. I'm not sure the team would be successful, but I could live with it. It'd be a good time. You all would have a great time. <laughs> See, here's the interesting thing. So you're executive vice president at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, which we've mentioned on the podcast numerous times. Yep. We can't play favorites because we have lots of seminaries that we serve, uh, you know, as sister Baptist organizations. Great However, organizations. We, we like great organizations. Guys, we like you guys a lot. Um, yeah. Now, I know you as being fun. But you're like yeah, the don't ruin my reputation. CEO, <laughs> the COO. You know, you're, yeah. you're an operations officer. So you, you know, before we got on, you you said, well, basically, we just came out of budget season. So I was the chief operating officer of no. That's correct. Um, so I'm sure I have a completely different perspective on you. Okay, so why do you see him as the chief fun officer? I didn't say he was a chief fun <laughs> officer. I just said we always have a good time because. The reason why he's on today is because we're doing a book breakdown, and so he's always fun because um, in my weird, nerdy kind of way, I'm always thinking about books. I'm always thinking about resources. Um, anytime we're together, we're going to pick each other's brain, and that, to me, is is really fun. For a lot of people, it probably wouldn't be, but I think it is for us. He may not feel the same way. Like, <laughs> no, I always have a great time with Todd. It's always centered around food. <laughs> and so, you know, quite honestly, no matter what the discussion is, as long as it's sent around food, especially meat, then I think we're we're good. So, in other words, a burger or a quesadilla. <laughs> or a quesadilla. We did breakfast this last time. So Really? Was, uh, yeah. yeah, we what, did. Did Todd get anything other than a peanut butter and jelly, peanut butter sandwich, <laughs> just a peanut butter I sandwich? Did. I did. For, I forgot what Todd got. You got like a, I forgot what he got, but. I think I got uh, country ham. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I actually had mac and cheese for breakfast. For, for breakfast, man. Life. That sounds yeah. really Southern American. That was a strong move. <laughs> it was. It was. Yeah. I can't remember the name of the place, but it was. Uh, it was. It was down the street. Okay. Our, our okay. We're we're veering. So today <laughs> on this podcast, <laughs> bringing us back. Job. I thought we were doing the breakfast breakdown today. <laughs> breakfast breakdown. No. Cue the breakdown music. We are going to be breaking down the book, "The Ideal Team Player," by Patrick Lencioni. So this is our third Lencioni book that we have broken down. So and this is going to We aren't going to go into the fact that we hate all the narrative and stuff. Am I going to do that again? <laughs> oh, I don't no. get to I don't get to tell the summary of the parable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's uh, let's leave that for a little bit later. <laughs> all right. Okay, so let's go with a straight with not with the straight, straight face. Yeah, straight face. <laughs> First question, what is the book and why does it matter? Yeah, so Ideal Team Player is uh, really, as right now, it's Lynchiani's uh, most recent book, I believe, the last, uh, last time I was keeping track. And uh, it, it, it followed his book, The Advantage, and The Advantage was really kind of a culmination of everything that he had written. And I think that Ideal Team Player, uh, The Advantage ended up kind of raising, and at least in my mind, this is my inference, a lot of questions uh, mm -hmm. about uh, who is right to serve on a team. 
And so Patrick Lencioti wrote this book uh, called The Ideal Team Player, did his typical format of kind of writing the story ahead of time and then getting to kind of illustrate what he's talking about and then getting into the details of this, uh, who is this ideal team player uh, that's really described as being meeting three qualities, humble, hungry, and smart. And so these kind of tie in a little bit to what he talks about with core values that an organization is supposed to develop for their staff that he talks mainly about the advantage. Uh, but, uh, and it comes quite honestly, it comes out of the fact that humble, hungry, and smart were the core values for his organization. Uh, and somebody else started to adopt them and it, you know, he's like, wait, no, 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 no. You can't, you can't adopt them. Those are ours. Uh, and then when she started to think about it, you know, a lot is that, these qualities of humble, hungry, and smart really represent the ideal team player for any organization, not just his organization. Yeah, completely. The, the interesting thing too there is, you know, one of his other more famous books is Five Dys- Dysfunctions of Team. Mm. And yep. so I think this is, you know, that was the the team book and this is really more centered around the individual. Yeah. At yes. the same time, the team as well. Because <clears throat> who do you want on your team? Well, it's these mm-hmm. types of individuals. Yeah, so the book really gets to the combination around these three, humble, hungry, smart. And and later on in the podcast, we'll actually break each of those down and and what that looks like for the church and and for leadership within the church. But really Mm -hmm. the, the purpose of the book is, okay, how do you develop these? How do you recruit for them? How do you hire? How do you evaluate around them? And what happens when you actually have individuals who together are humble, hungry, smart? What happens if you have someone that's just humble? or someone that's just hungry, someone that's just smart. And, and so he, he goes through all of that in the last part of the book, mm-hmm. uh, if, you, if you skip the fable. So yes. did, now, now did that. you skip the fable, uh, Todd? Of course I skipped the fable. Hutch, did you skip the fable? I, I actually read the fable. Okay. <laughs> I did it's, too. It's, it's, it's a great story about Valley Builders. The guy Bob turns his company over to his nephew, Jeff, <laughs> who's working with Claire and Bobby. And, uh, and basically they find out that, uh, uh, I'm not going to use the language they use, but, uh, uh, basically finds out that, uh, it's not good to have any jerks on your team. Oh, Daniel and I were talking about this in the beginning. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because I was telling him, uh, a quote from it because we'll get to the quote section. I'm like, I can't mention that quote because it has a bad word in it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it depends. If you're going King James, it's a biblical term. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So before we get into our favorite (laughs) quotes, though, just a a few questions, a a few of our quick hitters about this book, who the author is. Well, I mean, episode 324, episode 292, we talked about Patrick Lencioni and how he's a um, multiple best-selling author. So we're not going to go into his bio because you can listen in to those other two podcasts. But what do you guys think about the book, who it's written for? Yeah. I mean, it's really written for people who are the ones that are putting the team together, mm-hmm. right? The ones that are in charge of a team. And, you know, I, I think that the, probably the most significant decision that any leader is going to make is the decision to hire somebody. Um, subsequently, if you inherit a team, sometimes it's a decision to fire somebody. Uh, but even if you make a wrong hire, you have to do that as well. But it's really focused on that leader for the team on who is the right person that needs to be there for your organization to be most successful. 
Yeah, that's that's likely his his intended main audience. I think if you are if if you're not in charge of hiring, but you're on a team and you want to learn how to become a better team player, you could probably benefit from it too, because there are oh, some self assessments for sure. Yeah, yeah, the, the assessments are a huge help. Uh, matter of fact, I t- I had my team back when uh, I took uh, my direct reports to this. I had them go through and do those assessments, and so it it definitely was helpful for current people. Uh, that were there, but I would still say even that information that got back while helpful for them was most helpful for me as the team leader um, in determining how, how they needed to be developed or if they needed to be on the team, things along those lines. That's great. Well, let's get into our favorite quotes. We'll do a round robin of this. So Todd, why don't you kick us off? Uh, Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to replace jerks for the word. (laughs) Uh, because uh, Hacho's already done so. Uh, here it is. If you ask me, the best thing that's happened in the last year in our organization is that we've almost become a jerk-free zone. No matter there what happens, what challenge we might face, give me a room full of people who aren't jerks, and I'll be happy to take it on. Mm. Yep. It's yep. all about the team. It's all about their <laughs> attitude and their posture. Uh, right. Do I get two or three quotes? No, no, no. Let's go around. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I like this one. Of course, to recognize and cultivate humble, hungry, and smart team members, or to become one yourself, you first need to understand exactly why these deceptively simple words, uh, what what they mean, and how all three together make up the essential virtues of an ideal team player, which we'll get into later in the podcast. Yep. For me, for me, I, it's uh, when talking about the importance of that role of the leader that's there is he makes the statement that leaders who can identify, hire, and cultivate employees who are humble, hungry, and smart will have a serious advantage over those who are not. And that's a, that's a significant quote because it takes a lot to trust that relying on those three categories is going to make the difference in your success and not something like skills. Hmm. Uh, next one is the next couple really are all about culture for me. And that's something that, you know, we spent a year really talking about in connection with pipeline. So I think this is really important. So here's one, uh, the most unhappy people in an organization are the ones who don't fit the culture and Mm -hmm. they're allowed to stay. So, I mean, deep down inside, they know they don't want to be there and they're miserable. Yeah. Um, and then ultimately, I would add to that, ultimately, those people are either going to offboard themselves or you're going to have to offboard them. Yeah, that's good. Well, on the onboarding topic, here's a quote. Many people will try to get a job even if they don't fit the company's stated values, but very few will do so if they know that they're going to be held accountable day in and day out for behavior that violates the values. So that's where Lencioni even advises when you talk to, I mean, to actually tell the people you're hiring, if you adopt these values of humble, hungry, and smart, to tell them, hey, these are our values. And, you know, his quote's basically saying that there are people who be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I adopt those, or you can fool them during the interview. But when you say, okay, but just remember, uh, these really are our values, which means your performance, you are going to be accountable to these, uh, you know, marked down, marked up, you know, fired, promoted, you know, just really bringing it to the day in, day out that this is the behavior we expect every single day. And, and he's saying that that would actually, that actually does provide a wake up call for potential employees. Yep. Yeah. For me, on the context of the hungry uh, virtue, 
that he has and talking about the development side of it. So this is dealing with the current employees, not just in those that you're hiring. Uh, makes the statement, remember, it's not merely a matter of increasing his output. There are plenty of methods and tools related to goal setting and performance management for doing that. It's actually about transforming the employee so that he can ultimately come to embody the idea of going above and beyond and no longer need extra prodding and reminding. And I just love the fact of how it's not getting to a taskless issue. It's getting to the core of the person's heart and how they approach something. That's good. That's good. Todd, last one. I got, no, I'm not doing anymore. <laughs> I'm ready to move on. All right. All right. Quoted I, too much. Okay. I'm going to do this one though. Okay, What's amazing. I'll, I'll just give you two. I'll, I'll take your spot. <laughs> What's amazing <laughs> is that so many leaders who value teamwork will tolerate people who aren't humble. They reluctantly, they reluctantly hire self-centered people and then justify it simply because those people have desired skills. <laughs> Or they see arrogant behavior in an employee and fail to confront it, often citing that person's individual contributions as an excuse. So that's interesting, right? Because it's the whole idea of ignoring character for competency. But then later on in the book, he says this, only the most self-delusional person would claim that lacking humility is a benefit. <laughs> Deep down inside, we all know it's miserable. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right, go ahead, Touch. Uh, yep. So um, I think in light of the smart context, he makes the, the statement, that the key to helping somebody become smarter is to make it clear to everyone involved um, that a deficiency in this area is not about intention. And I think that that idea of, of understanding it's not about intention is key. Um, but employees who lack people smarts have no desire to create interpersonal problems with their teammates. Sometimes they do. For the most part, they don't. That's not part of the quote. That's my commentary. Yeah. They just don't understand the nuances of interpersonal relationships, and they don't seem to realize how their words and actions impact others. That person his teammates knew this and remind themselves about it. The process of, of helping him become smarter will be much easier and more effective. And, and in light of his book, The Advantage, that really hits at some issues of what is what he refers to as the fundamental attribution error. Um, and that is generally when somebody else does something wrong, like they have bad interpersonal skills, uh, we don't chalk it up to the fact that they just have bad interpersonal skills. We chalk it up to the fact that they're a jerk and they don't like us and they're, be and they're trying to be mean to us on purpose. Um, and generally when we do something wrong, uh, we assign it to environmental factors. Like it's just who I am. Totally. I'm, out, I'm out, out of my control. Uh, something else happened that uh, influenced this and, and so we look at those kind of mistakes differently. And so I think that's a, a great quote to talk about the fact that smart people, it's usually not bad intentions. They just, they just don't understand how to operate in the situation. Mm, that's good. That's good. All right. Similar books. What do you guys think? Mm. I mean, we obviously mentioned the five dysfunctions of a team. I right? think those dovetail really well. Yeah. yeah. Because the five dysfunctions of a team is all about how a group must interact as a team, whereas this book, The Ideal Team Player, is really more on the team member and what virtues make him or her more likely to, to overcome the dysfunctions that derail teams. Yeah, I think for me, there's a, a and it's not a direct tie, but there's a book called Crucial Conversations that's uh, mm -hmm. edited by uh, Kelly Patterson. And I think some of this, especially because that really goes into this, uh, maybe I would say the smart category that Lencioni's talking about. 
and how it is that you interact with others in these kind of crucial conversations. So I think it's really a good compliment and in delving into that, the, the smart aspect of working with other people. Um, I do think emotional intelligence would be, you know, we've talked about emotional oh, yeah. intelligence before, but I do think that dovetails well with this book. Um, just, you know, understanding because when we get into it, the humble, hungry, if a person's hungry, uh, they can tend to be a kind of a bulldozer. Um, and so, uh, again, I, I think it's, a a similar enough book that I would recommend those in conjunction together. Mm. Fantastic. And our last quick hitter before we get to how is this applicable to leadership in the church? Do you guys think this is a summary, skim, sit down, or a listen and why? I'm going to, I'm going to say it is a skim and sit down. Okay. Skim the narrative (laughs) and sit down on the, the back of the book. Yeah, I, I think I probably would lean towards the same categories. Uh, if you've never read a Lencioni book, I think it's helpful maybe to go through that narrative at the beginning just to kind of see how one get used to his writing and, and what he's trying to communicate. But I don't think you need to spend a lot of time there. But the this is a as short of a book it is, it is that second part on really defining the three virtues and how to implement them in development. There There is... There is so much to unpack there when it comes to practical application in your business and your church, things along those lines that it, it really is a sit down and have to think through it. Love that. Love that. For me, I listened to it. So pretty soon after the book came out, because I love everything Lencioni, I, I listened straight to it. And, and this is actually the first time I didn't skip through or skim through the 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 narrative. I actually just listened and it was it was fun to listen to the narrative. Uh, and then but then when it came time to actually the the meat of the book afterwards, I found that listening to it was too difficult because it was just point after point after point. Like I wanted to mark my cue and and put bookmarks <laughs> Pretty much, it was a constant bookmark, 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 bookmark. So I actually ended up buying the book too, <laughs> and then <laughs> slowly going through that. I know it's a good book if uh, if so. I'll you know start some on Audible, and you know we commute to and from yeah uh, the office. So it's a long commute in Nashville. Please don't move here. Uh, we don't need any more people. <laughs> it's gotten really bad, uh, but. It's the same here. If I'm having to like, you know, voice uh, too many notes into the into the phone, I'm like, forget it. I just yeah. need to. Mm-hmm. I just need to. I just need to buy this. Definitely, definitely. All right. So, how is this book applicable to leadership in the church? We've mentioned the humble, hungry, smart, and you know, words here and there, and and what Lencioni says is really. Uh, if if you if you're committed as a church and as an organization to making teamwork a cultural reality, you need to have the right people. Jim Collins' words, right, right people on the bus. But Lencioni talks about people with three virtues. They need to be, you know, they need to uh, be humble. They need to be hungry, and they need to have people smarts. Right. So that's different than the IQ side of it. The people smarts. So that's let's the start emotional intelligence side. Exactly. So let's start yeah, it's, with it's the a, first, his summary term. Yeah. Yeah. So let's start with the first word. Humble. What does it mean to be humble as a church leader? And how do you find those people? 
Yeah, I think that uh, with that, and what I love about humble, hungry, and smart is this is those three categories are so applicable to life in a local church because these are definitely not contrary to uh, how we are to be as Christians and how we are to act as ministers. Um, but humility, Lincioni uh, says that this is the the most indispensable attribute of being a team player. So while he lists all three of these, he puts this one at the beginning for a reason. And I think, you know, for us, Philippians 2, obviously, and considering others is more important than ourselves, um, is a, a, a key adjective or a key aspect of who we are as Christians. And so, therefore, to have this sense of humility where we are considering the team in front of everybody else, where we talk about team success and not our own success and our own advancement, um, is is so key to being able to lead in a local church context. So I'm going to deviate for just a moment here. So do you think that we have an overabundance of narcissistic leaders in senior level leadership in our churches and uh, Christian uh, nonprofits and all that more today than in years past. I mean, narcissism on a whole has definitely well, it's increased. Kind of like sin, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, it's kind of have started in the garden. I get that, but what would you say? I mean, narcissism as a whole is definitely on the rise, and a lot of that environmental. I mean, there is that sin. There, there is that root of pride within us all, but definitely social media and a lot of that has elevated, I think it's elevated our susceptibility to it mm. and our, and our apt to, um, apt to compare, right. To compare with one well, another. And is it with, uh, is there a correlation between the rise of the smartphone and narcissism? Because in some ways it really is staring back into our own reflection um, and the algorithms show us what we want more and more and more. We're used to be able to getting anything. Like, I don't, I don't know. Well, you know, when I teach, when I teach the Old Testament and you're going, where in the world is the Old Testament? <laughs> uh, when I teach the Old Testament, you know, I tell them that w- there's lots of value to the Old Testament. And one of those values is, is that, uh, uh, or two of those values are, is that uh, God is the same in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so, you know, we know that there's a consistency there, but uh, man is the same as well in the sense that we sin the exact same way we've always sinned. Um, and so uh, I think that what social media has done in that situation is it's just been able to broadcast to a larger group uh, where there's a lack of humility. Uh, but it's not necessarily that there is more people with a lack of humility. Hmm. Uh, it's just been able to broadcast it a little bit more than uh, than what they were able to in the past. No, that's a that's a really good point. In the book, Lencioni talks about uh, in individuals. He he talks about two types of people that lack humility, and I found this was interesting to think about as a concept. Uh, for the first person, he just talks about the person who, um, you know, they just, they they boast, right? They seek attention. They're narcissistic, ego-driven. I mean, that's just who, who you think, who you think would lack humility. But he also talks about the next one, uh, which is good to understand, is this person who lacks self-confidence, but are generous and positive with others. 
So he he says that these individuals tend to discount their own discount their own talents and contributions. So others mistakenly see them as humble, but this is not humility. So it's interesting to think how, you know, just because the person's not the ego driven, you know, it's not that narcissistic individual that everyone who doesn't exhibit that is humble. And he's saying, no, that's not necessarily true either. Yeah, absolutely. Because uh, I I don't think uh, many times confidence can be uh, described as pride. And I think there's a healthy confidence, though, um, you know, that exists. Um, And uh, it's when there's a lack of confidence that you definitely don't want to confuse that with the person being humble. Yeah. And overconfidence as well. Right. Because uh, one of the things he says here is that, hey, hey, both of these types, what they both have in common is insecurity. Right. Mm-hmm. Insecurity makes people project overconfidence yeah. uh, and others discount their talents, whereas you just have on the other side the insecurity of any of your talents, which means you lack confidence. Yeah, so that's humble. What do you guys think about hungry? How do we see that in in the church? Mm. Uh, well, so hungry is is kind of what if it, it doesn't overlap with smart or humble. That's your bulldozer. And I think sometimes we've come to find in our churches that there are people that get their own way because they're hungry and. We just don't have the energy or the courage to confront. Mm. And so we just let them do it. But why? Because, well, nobody else is doing anything, so I may as well let them run the show and their their ministry. But what we end up doing is segmenting them off or giving them a silo almost ministry that they, you know, kind of run their own uh, kingdom. And so I think that's how it manifests itself in the church because somebody's so hungry um, and we may have other people that aren't tapping in and we just let them go. Just let but, them do whatever but, they want. You know, you think about hungry, this idea of, of being hungry. Isn't that a good attribute to have as a team member? I mean, it's, you know, you think yeah, about yeah. it. They're, you're getting yeah. a lot of stuff done. I'm hungry. <laughs> yeah, 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 we're always hungry. Anyway, that's why Todd and I meet over food. <laughs> that's um, true. But, yeah, you know, hunger hunger is an important uh, characteristic because when we, you know, Paul tells us in Colossians that when we work, we're, we're supposed to work as unto the Lord. Uh, and, and serving him. And so it's, it's more of, I think, the purpose that's behind your hunger yep. uh, than necessarily uh, um, hunger. It's, you know, just simply hunger itself. In other words, it's the driving motivation behind it. And so what can happen, you know, many times in that sense is you've got to take, and this is why I think Lynn is presenting all three of these, is unless you have the, the right mix of all three of these, um, it's, it's, going to go off the rails because you're not going to be able to pull the team with you as you should be. You're not going to know how to encourage people in the way that they should be encouraged if you don't have the smart category, things along those lines. And so that's why, uh, you know, just simply being out there of I'm going to go get stuff done uh, doesn't make you an ideal team player. It really decision. is fascinating the way he breaks, the way he breaks down the the three things when it's Positive, hungry looks like looking for more to do, more to learn, self-motivated and thinking about, you know, future forward. Hey, hey, what's next? Um, if you combine humble and hungry, but you don't have smart, he basically says you make messes. Mm. So, yeah, that's really good. So smart, 
right? This is the one that definitely needs the most clarification because as we mentioned earlier, it's not about IQ. It's a lot more about EQ. So being smart is this idea of, do you have team members on your team that know how to read a situation that's happening in the group? Do they know how to, to deal with others in effective ways? Do they know how to ask good questions, listen well, and stay engaged in conversations? Because we know some people who don't have that and, and maybe they think they do, but, but they, they don't actually, and maybe they're, I mean, they can obviously be maybe even interpreted as being manipulative, right? Because it's like, okay, you don't really care about me. You're just wanting to work with me or you're wanting to do this, but, but now you're being really nice to me. I mean, where's the EQ in that, right? So sometimes in trying to have it, you can actually lack it. Yeah, I think with smart, I, I like the fact that it's really um, on one aspect that it's one word that kind of wraps up the the emotional intelligence kind of category uh, that's with it. Uh, the hard part about it is versus humble and hungry, you know, it's, it's the fact that it takes explanation. You can't just simply look at somebody and say humble, hungry and smart and them not think that smart means uh, IQ and not EQ. And so I, I, there's part of me that wishes that maybe Lincioni would have gone with a different term there. Uh, just that with one that was a term that was a little bit more self-explanatory than smart. People smart. But I'm, but I'm glad that, yeah, people smart. I think he could have done that. That, uh, that I'm glad he's got something that really helps sum up emotional intelligence um, without necessarily having to get into the detail of emotional intelligence by Goldman and some of the psychological, you know, talk, the psychology talk that goes along with it. I really think when we uh, post the show notes from this, we've got to post the diagram that comes from oh, the oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. Because everybody, everybody needs a Venn diagram. Uh, yes. Venn diagrams, many will come to know him through the Venn diagram. I could assure you this. <laughs> uh, but, you know, because when you look and you can see, oh, here's how things overlap. If somebody is, people smart and they're hungry, then they're more likely to just be a politician if they don't have the humility side of it. Yeah. So and, it's, and it's I do really love helpful. how he takes all those categories and kind of says, if you have one, not the other, if you have these two, I love how he does that. But, you know, smart, I think, uh, communication, uh, one of my quotes I tell my team all the time is that words are easy to say communications hard. Hmm. And uh, I think that the smart gets into that because, you know, you can simply say, well, I told this person that, well, the tone in which you said it and the words in which you chose to use communicate uh, or, or the, uh, the context in which you chose to do it communicate a whole lot more than just the simple concept that you're hoping to get across. And many times uh, in being a part of a team, you can completely kill the vibe on a team because of a, um, a misplaced comment that necessarily didn't have a hurtful intention behind it, as Lencioni's kind of talking and talking about with it's usually not intentions behind the smart issue or lack of smartness. But yeah. I think what you can end up doing is you can kill that vibe on a team because now they hear nothing you say mm. because all there's, they're just, they're steaming about what was or what they just were the interpretation of what was just said mm. no longer function as a team because they're focused on, um, they're how upset they are over a situation versus than what the team's supposed to be accomplishing. 
Yeah, that's that's really good. I love how Lencioni writes out a picture of what an ideal team player looks like. You know, what does a person look like who is humble, hungry, and smart? And this is what he says: the ideal team player um, possess adequate. They possess adequate measures of humility, hunger, and people smarts. They have little ego when it comes to needing attention or credit for their contributions, and they are comfortable sharing their accolades or even occasionally missing out on them. Ideal team players work with a sense of energy, passion, and personal responsibility, taking on whatever they possibly can for the good of the team. Finally, they say and do the right things to help themselves feel appreciated, understood, and uh, to help their teammates feel appreciated, understood, and included, even when difficult situations arise that require tough love. So that's the ideal team player, humble, hungry, and smart. Now, before we get to our next question about what churches should ignore from this book, and, and this is often the question, Todd, where we don't really have a lot to say, but uh, I think there there are several points to make, not to say that the book isn't good, but there are several points to, to say, hey, we need to maybe caution ourselves before we take on this advice. But before we get there, just a quick note from our sponsor. You know, training your leaders and volunteers is important. It is the most important thing you do. In fact, it's not what you do. It's who you develop in the end that is all the difference. So that's why LifeWay Leadership developed Ministry Grid. With Ministry Grid's library of over 3,000 training videos, the work has been done for you, and you'll be able to train everyone in your church no matter the role. Now, this training is is something you can trust. Each Ministry Grid video features an experienced practitioner, a ministry leader who has been where you are. You can also customize any training by adding videos, PDFs, YouTube videos, and much, much more. And now Ministry Grid has one plan with one price that gives you unlimited access to train your church. Just go to ministrygrid.com to learn more. Once again, that's ministrygrid.com. All right, so what do you all think are things churches should ignore from this book? Uh, I think the the story at the beginning is going to be a hard, uh, it's going to, they're going to have a hard time applying the life of a construction company, um, especially with kind of, in that sense, the construction company, uh, the language might be a little bit harder than what a group of uh, people would want to read in a, in a small group. Hmm. Uh, and so I think that, uh, if you take these things, while I think all three of these categories are there, uh, definitely, you know, potentially don't really spend a whole lot of time on the front story just because it's gonna, you're going to get distracted, uh, by some of the other things that are going on and you're going to get more focused on, well, why did, I wish you wouldn't use language like that or something along those lines. That's a really good point. It's interesting what he talks about when he defines hungry, And it was just, there's just this quote that he talked about. um, And he was like, hey, and some people hunger can be taken to the extreme where work becomes too important, consuming the identity of an employee and dominating their life. And and I think that's, I agreed with that. I was like, oh yeah, that it can be taken to that extreme. But he talks about the idea of hunger uh, as individuals who, you know, people who lack hunger are people who might use the word balance and might use the word of sustainable, you know, being, you know, doing work in a sustainable manner. And you're saying that you you might, you might notice people lack hunger when they use words like that. And I was, I mean, that just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah, I can, I can see that. I'm not sure. 
because it, I'll have to admit, a lot of times you do hear that and you do kind of immediately assume ah, that person really doesn't know what balance is. <laughs> um, right. You know, it, it's like anything else. They define balance a little bit different than I, I define balance. But I think that you it know, is right, it's, especially in a church context, because we ministers can get to a point where they are so consumed by their ministry um, and they can use the excuse of it being for a higher purpose uh, to get really off track of the real purpose that they're there. And that's shepherding the people and quite honestly, yeah. even the the health of their family. Mm. And the fact that ministry never stops. Yes. Right. Yes. I mean, within a construction right. company, yeah, it's like, go, you know, be hungry, get go get the project done. But ministry never and stops. Ministry is life. Life is ministry. Yeah. And if we want to talk about identity. Mm. Ours is in Christ. Yeah. So yep. that's it. Yeah. And if you struggle with that, just read anything Paul Trip. <laughs> Especially <laughs> yeah, dangerous calling. That's right. Yeah. And you'll be good to go. <laughs> and then you'll cry yourself to sleep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. One thing that will be uh, slightly more pragmatic that I disagree with is he talks, he recommends group and panel interviews yeah. for candidates. Okay. I so hate you, you hate that? Yes. Okay. That's a tough one. I don't like that one. Um, I mean, I've done both, I've been a part of both. Um, but I think if you want to really evaluate who a person is from a personality perspective, it's hard to do in a group setting uh, because they're going to be much more stressed out. Mm. There's less opportunity for me to ask them different types of questions because I have to share the floor with other people. Uh, it's just there's multiple reasons why I, I don't find value in interrogating uh, an individual because I, I just think you're going to find a baseline of who that person is, their behavior, their fit with your culture and their values if you have one-on-one. -on -one. I don't care if mm -hmm. you have four different people interview them, just do it separately. Yeah, so let's but, let's actually, let's end the podcast. Let's move toward ending the podcast there. Because okay. I think when it comes to what everyone can do this week in light of the book is, you know, how do you in incorporate these values into hiring, into evaluation, into all that stuff. Uh, but before we get there, I did want to mention, you know, he 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 does label, right? He does label people, uh, bulldozers, charmers, pawns, messmakers, lovable slackers, skillful politicians. And, you know, I just, I, there's just, I, I get, you know, he, he does it. It's cute. It's memorable. It helps you as the reader think about it. But I think the moment you begin bringing those labels in and labeling your team members that, that's a dangerous place. <laughs> <laughs> it is and it yeah. isn't. Well, I, no, yeah. we no, just, no, no, no. We just call them sinners. Yeah. No, no. No, <laughs> it's just, helpful. No, no. I think it, it's it, helpful because then it helps you know what to do with this person. So to their face, you're going to call, oh, you're a pawn. Yeah. Oh, you're a mess maker. <laughs> hey, look, hey, we have the courage slacker. to confront on our team. Yeah, not with labels like that. So <laughs> our team would probably really get into uh, smack yeah. talking. New name tags when you come to church. <laughs> oh, right. Put that, put that, put <laughs> that under your name slacker. plate and smoke it. <laughs> okay. The other thing is he does talk about humility. <laughs> and I, I, I totally agree. I totally disagree with what he talks about in terms of how to develop humility. Did you guys catch that? I mean, he talks about the idea of, oh, okay, you know, if, if you, if you lack humility, if you lack humility, then just force yourself to compliment others. Just kind of hack it. 
just kind of fake it till you make it is pretty much what I read there. And, and, and they're like, okay. And, and if you do that, you'll eventually become humble. And, and, and I mean, you know, I, you know, Hutch, I, I appreciate how you brought up Philippians too. And, and for us as followers of Christ, I mean, you can't, that's not how humility is developed, right? It, it's developed as we spend time with the Lord, as we understand our identity in him, as we seek to serve, uh, as we allow God to change us, the Holy Spirit to change us. That's how humility develops in our lives. Yeah. And I, I agree with you, Daniel. I think that that's important for us. Anytime we read books like this is to, you know, remember the audience that's being written to it at times he'll mention religious organizations is some, you know, sometimes some of the organizations that this can, these things can apply to, but, uh, you know, very much so it's just like, uh, in kind of the personal finance realm is that you, you look at the stuff that is out there and it's, you very much pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. If, you know, you, you solve your own problems, uh, whereas we recognize no, you know, we're, we're wretched, uh, we fall short every day, and the only we, way that we're able to walk faithfully before God, only way we're, we're able to be hung, uh, humble, uh, correctly, hungry correctly, and smart correctly, is to walk by the power of the Spirit. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So, last question in the book breakdown is: What can we do this week in light of the book? So, when it comes to hiring, what do you all think uh, ways that we can incorporate this into hiring? Um, I personally think his suggestion on non-traditional interviews uh, is a helpful one uh, mm-hmm. versus they just come down, sit across from a table. I'm going to go through my standard list of questions, but, you know, get really think through if, if you want something effective to do in hiring, really think through your questions. Don't get your questions off the latest, uh, you know, Inc. magazine or, or Forbes <laughs> magazine list that, you know, what superhero are you and stuff like that. Uh, but get questions that you know why you're asking it and what you are, are looking for in the response. So sometimes we get fascinated with the question and we haven't given any thought to what we're hoping for from the question. Yeah. And so I think that in that sense of the non-traditional interview, don't go with the default questions of the same ones that you sat through for years um, and the ones that you've kind of read in those magazines that seem like uh, interesting questions that are going to throw the person off but come up with good questions that the person has to think and that you know what the answer is that you're looking for from. That's a really good word. That's a really good word. Yeah, I do. I do like the idea of with the non-traditional interviews, how he talks about, Hey, you know, can you actually, can you actually have the person do some work, right? Depending on the role and then to see how they do in that work. So for example, I mean, it's hard as a, you know, when you think about pastoral, like if you're going as a teaching pastor or senior pastor, churches right. do that because they preach. But when it comes to hiring an administrator, we'll actually give them tasks to do mm-hmm. yeah. in the office before you hire them. Well, and one of the things too, if you're practicing pipeline, well, you probably are going to have people coming up from within. Mm-hmm. And so even if that is uh, a leader or coach who you may be considering bringing on staff, go ahead and pay them as a contractor. Uh, I mean, in this day and age, there's so many people who have, you know, something in addition to their job that they're actually doing. And I want to be really, really careful with that because you guys have heard me say before in talking about uh, different churches I've worked in and served at, you know, I have a really difficult time um, sometimes paying people 
to do things that they should be doing, you know, as part of serving. I also would encourage uh, staff of like, hey, this isn't just your job. This is also your church. So you need to be volunteering just like anybody else. You need to be volunteering your time outside of an area that um, that you're, you know, paid to work in. But yeah. that being said, um, there is still opportunity if you're trying somebody. It's a way to get somebody, uh, help them to allow them to kind of try out in that role before. A lot of times it's really helpful when you're in between uh, people and you're trying to uh, hire that position to go ahead and fill it with a quote unquote interim position. Uh, and then, I mean, you know, half the half the roles I've had in churches are they were interim and then worked my way into the spot. So, yeah, I think one thing too that he points out that could be easily implemented, uh, and he really closes out with this this idea of don't let violators of these categories don't, don't let it go unaddressed. Um, because what happens is is we all have the those people that we can think through that we've worked with in years past, or might even work with now, or might even work for us, and they do certain things, and you're like, I really wish that person would do that, hmm. but we don't say anything about it. And you know, it's um, Chick Fil A uses a model. Uh, it's called ESRC um, when addressing where, when employees fail. Uh, and the first three are just real quick is either they have wrong, the, the expectations weren't clear. Uh, the second one is, is that they don't have the skills to do it and they need to be taught. The third one is they don't have the resources to do it. But the fourth one, when it comes to employees dropping the ball, uh, which I think comes to this idea of being team player and ties into this last point is that there uh, should be consequences if they're, if, all of those other threes are there. There's right expectations, right skills, right resources. And that doesn't always mean them that they're getting fired. Um, but if they're not graciously called out for those kinds of things, what, uh, what happens is, is it becomes a new standard of acceptability. You know, so if you have an employee that is late to work every day uh, and you just, you know, and it's five, 10 minutes and it just goes on and on and on. And then, you know, you end up firing them six months later and you never said anything. And one of the things that comes up when talking to them is, well, you're late every day. And they're like, well, you never said anything. And they're like, well, you know, I just assume you were fine with it because you didn't say anything. And so make sure in these kind of situations, as you address these is, is in a gracious manner, don't let them slide. That's really good. good. Well, the ideal team player by Patrick Lencioni. If you're honestly, when it comes to what you can do this week, if you are hiring someone, if you are looking to add a team member, take a look at this book. I mean, even just Absolutely. taking, buying the book and, and looking at the latter, the latter half and, and you're like, oh, you know, but why do I need to buy the book? I already heard about Humble, Hungry, Smart. Well, when it comes to hiring and developing people, embedding it into your culture, he has a lot of assessments and resources and, and questions to ask that is that are incredibly helpful. So be sure to check that out. Yeah, I would say also, this is a great um, coaching tool for you. So if you go through here and you begin to understand this framework well, then it's going to give you um, it's going to give you a great tool to confront a person uh, yep. to help have um, it's just healthy confrontation confrontation uh, and actionable steps. Yep, absolutely. 
Awesome. Well, thanks again for listening in to the Five Leadership Questions podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, you'll likely enjoy the EST podcast as well. They're part of the Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network family. Sam Rayner, Micah Freeze, Josh King host that one. And, and recently they've covered topics like pastor approachability, holy sexuality, Christian celebrity. So just look up EST on your favorite podcasting app and subscribe today. 